you have a choice. And you're going to be sentenced. Where are you going to do your time? Christ has given each of us the choice of captivity and death or freedom and eternal life. You must decide. You're listening to Sentence to Heaven, Doing Time with God, a 70 times 7 ministries podcast. This is Pamela Campbell. And for the past six years, my husband Cyrus and I have toured prisons throughout Texas preaching the Word of God. We invite you to join us each week as we dive into the scriptures and talk with men and women we have met on our journey. We'll be having real discussions with others who've overcome life's obstacles through the saving power of Jesus Christ and are now doing real time with God. It's Cy and Pamela here doing time with God, and we have a great show for you today. We're going to have Pastor Cyrus do the scripture reading. We're going to start at Judges chapter 1, verses 4 through 7. The scripture says, When Judah attacked, the Lord gave the Canaanites and Perizzites into their hands, and they struck down 10,000 men at Bezek. It was there that they found Adonai Bezek and fought against him, putting him to rout the Canaanites and the Perizzites. Adonai Bezek fled, but they chased him and caught him and cut off his thumbs and big toes. Then Adonai Bezek said, Seventy kings with their thumbs and big toes cut off have picked scraps under my table. Now God has paid me back for what I did to them. They brought him to Jerusalem, and he died there. Very interesting reading, Adonai Bezek, 70 kings with their toes and their thumbs cut off, picking up scraps under his table. And so, Pastor, I just want to start by asking you, it seems like Adonai Bezek wasn't a very nice guy. As a matter (laughs) of fact, I would say that he had a little bit of Satan in him. And I want to ask you if you can give us a little bit of background on Adonai and his being a type of Satan in the Bible. Yes, there is a there's a great typology between Satan and Adonai Bezek. First of all, Adonai means Lord of Lightning or Lord of Scattering. The scripture talks about in Isaiah 59, 19, how the enemy shall come in like a flood. This was Bezek with his lightning attack. He had a lightning attack on these 70 kings. He was an expert. He was highly efficient at what he did. The Germans, they use a term called Blitzkrieg. Blitz meaning lightning and Krieg meaning war. And so they use a surprise attack um, using rapid or overwhelming concentration of force. Their intent was to break their opponent's line of defense, then dislocate the defenders, unbalance the enemy, and then divide them and then finally defeat them in a battle of annihilation. This is what Adonai did best. He was a king killer. Sounds like there's a lot of pride wrapped up in this guy. Yes, uh, there is a lot of pride. And when you look further at the typology between Satan and Adonai Bezek, 
you know, Satan, he was puffed up. He was full of pride. Jesus said, behold, uh, I beheld Satan as a lightning fall from heaven. So he fell from heaven as a bolt of lightning. And so the, the scriptures, when you start digging further, the scriptures, Isaiah 4.12 calls him the son of the morning. He's described as a bright one, a heavenly being. So Ezekiel 20, chapter 28 talks about how he was full of these precious stones and walked in the midst of the fire. So he was a bright one. But interesting enough, in Genesis chapter three, the scripture says, now the serpent was more subtle than any other beast. When you look at the Hebrew word serpent, in Hebrew, it's Nehesh. Nehesh, that's N-A-C-H-A-S-H, meaning the shining one, also rendered as snake. And so God pronounced judgment on that shiny one, putting the enmity between him and the woman, between his offspring and her offspring, which is Christ. Christ was that seed that crushed his head, but he struck his heel. But when you go deeper into this onion, when we peel it back, yes, he struck Christ's heel, but Adonai Bezek, he also means Lord of scattering. He struck Christ's heel. And what happens? Jesus says that you will all fall away for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And so we see here that the typology between Satan and Bezek, it even goes into a deeper chain. Amazing. Now going a little bit further, I wanted to talk to you about the 70 crowns sitting on the mantle for these 70 kings that had been captured because I'm looking at this large mantle. I mean, I know my, our mantle at home, we may get five, 10 crowns if we even had that. Uh, but this guy had some crowns on his mantle. What can you tell us about that? Well, it's not clear why the 70 kings were defeated, but we can see from the scriptures that these kings were defeated and dethroned. They were disabled and disgraced, and they were made dependent under Bezek's table until their ultimate destruction. I'll say that again. Defeated and dethroned, disabled and disgraced and made dependent under Bezek's table to their ultimate destruction. Now, it's not clear why these 70 kings were defeated. Maybe they were caught off guard, distracted, unprepared. Maybe they used propaganda to hinder and deceive, maybe to cause doubt. Just like uh, King Sennacherib sent his officers to Hezekiah in Jerusalem to send a message to them to cause fear while the army was looming on the outside. And so he wanted to take over their, their kingship and destroy it. He wanted to destroy them. And so we don't understand, but we do know that they were outflanked. They were overwhelmed, overpowered, and overcome. The enemy came in like a flood. Came in like a flood and destroyed them, huh? Yes. And when we talk about all of these crowns and, and the pride that this guy had, uh, you and I have talked at times about how Satan must have crowns in his throne in hell and, um, and how many there would be. How many do you think that would be? You know, Bezek had a mantle of 70 crowns. Satan, how many people has Satan destroyed? from the beginning of time until now. And how many of those people have been God's people? Billions, mm -hmm. trillions. It's, we cannot understand that number. 
So Satan's destroyed trillions of people. But guess what? He's not finished. He wants to destroy you. Satan, he's after your kingship, your dominion, your rule and authority on this earth. He's after your standing with Christ. And so whenever I think about these 70 kings that were destroyed, they were in the same spiritual position as the 70 kings that were destroyed, defeated and dethroned, disabled and disgraced, and made dependent to their ultimate destruction, because that's what Satan wants to do to us. He wants to keep us chained under the table, chained to our sins, chained to our vices, chained to our addictions and our afflictions. If he can keep us from fulfilling our purpose with the Lord, that's what he's going to do. That is powerful. And I say that because as someone who's dealt with addiction and stuff in the past, um, I'm thinking about my own life. I'm thinking about how I was disabled and dependent Um, dependent on something else, a vice, or whatever someone wants to call it. For some people, it is a relationship and it's a person, but it keeps us chained. And without it, we don't think we can make it. And what we don't do is to turn away from that and depend on God, who is our ultimate salvation. But to understand that when, when we're defeated and disabled and down there in that disgrace and who is our ultimate accuser, Satan, who tells us while we're there, look at what you've done. God could never love you. It, it is so much a picture of so many of us at one point in time in our life. Satan, he has been doing this, defeating God's people God's kings and God's priests from the beginning of time, he accuses, he blasphemes, he challenges God's words, his authority, he defiles, distorts, deceives, hinders, torments, schemes. He has all of these devices that he uses to destroy God's people. You know, a lot of people don't understand how the Lord said that we are kings and priests to our God. And I have three divine witnesses for you. The first one comes from Exodus chapter 19, when the Lord spoke through his servant Moses, and he was telling the Israelites, now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all of the earth is mine. And you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. So this is God speaking to Moses. And then we have the Holy Spirit, which was upon Peter. And Peter spoke in first chapter of Peter, uh, verses 9, 2 through 10. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, royal, that's royalty, that's kingship, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And then we have the last witness, the last divine witness, which is Christ. Christ comes to John and he shows him the things of the future. John write this. And what does he write? In Revelation chapter 5, verse 9 through 10, and they sung a song saying, thou was worthy to take the book and to open the seals for thou was slain and has redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred, every tongue, people, and nation, and has made us unto our God kings and priests. 
So when you look at the typology between Adonai, Bezek, and, and Satan, just like Adonai, Satan is a, a king killer. He wants to destroy us. But when you further peel back the onion, when you go into um, Exodus chapter 29, you see there's, there's three sacrifices there. There's a bull for atonement, a ram for salvation, and then the third sacrifice is a ram for ordination, for righteousness. So the first one was for sins. The second one was a complete and whole sacrifice. But that third one, that's what I want to focus on because that was the ordination bull. And what would happen was, is that they would put their hands, impute the sins into that ram, and then they would kill it. And then they would take blood and oil and anoint the right ear, right thumb, and right toe. The right ear, right thumb, and right toe. So is there significance to that right side? Well, we see throughout the scriptures that God, how his right hand delivered the Israelites out of Egypt, how his right hand saves, how his right hand, it was always his right hand who saves us. These scriptures are all throughout the Bible. And when you look at this ordination process, the Lord anoints the right ear so what, so that we can hear God. Because Aaron being kings and priests, and this was a consecration of the priesthood in Exodus chapter 29. This was a consecration of Aaron and his sons into the priesthood. And so they had to hear God in order to serve him. But when you talk about serve him, he anointed that right thumb because we're the hands of God. We're the hands of him. We serve him. And so when the Lord is ministering to us, go and speak this word, go and build, go and do this, go and make my temple. We use our hands. We have to hear it. And then we serve with our hands. And then there's that right toe. But I would think, you know, before you get to the right toe, when we're, when we're talking about our hands, particularly our thumbs, that there are particular things that we carry with those hands, our Bible, our sword. Yes. You know, that there is a disabling mechanism to taking that right thumb. When Adonai Bezek cut off the thumbs of the 70 kings, his main purpose was to not only just defeat them, but to keep them from coming back, from picking up a sword, from drawing out a bow. And so it was to completely disable them from war. They could never pick up a sword again. They could never draw a bow. They could never fight again because they didn't have any thumbs. Because you use your thumbs to grip. You use your thumbs to grip. You use your thumbs. It's just like when we putting on our cloaks when we put on our clothes, it's intentional. What do our thumbs do? They're used for pinching, grasping, rotating, uh, to give power and precision in our hand strength. If we don't have our thumbs to grip the word of God, then we're not going to be able to pick up that sword. I don't think I could even get dressed without my thumbs. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Satan, he wants to hinder, distract, and prevent you from picking up that sword. That's that word of God. That's reading the Bible, hearing God's word, hearing his voice, which is why he anoints that ear, preventing you from grasping the word of God and getting his understanding. He wants to leave you defenseless. And this is exactly what he did to those 70 kings, leaving them defenseless while he hits you with that shock and awe campaign aimed to destroy you. You know, the Bible talks about 
Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, all that you're getting, get understanding. That's grasping the word of God. Amen. Moving on to the toe. There is another disabling mechanism. If you take that toe, there's a lot of things that we cannot do and function without our big toe. Your big toe helps you to balance. It helps you to, for pushing off on the ground during walking, running, pedaling, in conjunction with your big toe, it helps maintain balance and stability. And so... I think Shaq had a issue with the big toe one time. <laughs> yes, he did. When um, Shaq's big toe went out, he sat on the bench for at least a third of the season. His toe was in charge, not the rest of the body, but his toe. His toe set him on that bench. That was a big man to miss a toe. <laughs> Shaq was a big with the man. With the disabling toe. <laughs> with the vis- disabling toe. And so think about the toes. Our toes are used to, for walking. The scripture talks about Deuteronomy 5.33, you shall walk in all the ways of the Lord, which your your Lord God has commanded you, that you may live, that it may be well with you, and that you may prolong your days in the land which you shall possess. And so we have to walk with the Lord. And if Satan comes in and he cuts off our toes, how are we to walk? If he cuts off our thumbs, how are we to grip the word of God? How are we to grip the sword? How are we to put on the full armor of the Lord? Because we can't grip. We, You know, you have to grip to put your shirt on. Try to open the door without your thumbs. Just basic movements around, around your life. If you don't have thumbs, it is a challenge. And people who don't have thumbs, they have to find workarounds to do things in their life. And so... When we say we put on Christ or we put on something, it is intentional. It is absolutely intentional. You know, Aaron in the Bible, the scripture talks about how he put on the holy linen coat before entering the holy place because he had to lest he die before the Lord. So he had to put on that holiness. King Ahab, Hezekiah, David, they all put on sackcloth so that they could mourn and fast and pray and and go in repentance before the Lord. That was intentional. Daniel did the same thing, sackcloths and ashes and spreading on. It was intentional. Esther put on her royal apparel so that she can go and see the king. And so what do we do in Galatians 3 and 27? For as many as you have been baptized have put on Christ. It is intentional. That is the word of God that's picking up and grasping the word of God. You're, you're grasping it with your spiritual thumbs and you're putting it on and then you're walking it out. You're listening with the ears. And so the Lord anoints the right ear, the right thumb and the right toe. And this is how Satan destroys God's people by cutting off their thumbs and cutting off their toes. Spiritually. Spiritually, you know, there are so many addictions and afflictions out there in this world. Some people pride is their their affliction. They're chained with pride, some power, yes. some greed, some unforgiveness, some lying. Some people, they, they can't speak a word out of their mouth without lying and putting one lie on top of another or they're living in falsehood or, or they're gossipers and slanderers. That's all they do. Every word that they're coming out of their mouth, they're destroying somebody. And then others, they may abuse drugs or or alcohol, or it could be lust, it could be pornography. Everybody's chain is different. Yes. It's all different. 
Proverbs chapter 5, verse 22 talks about how the evil deeds of the wicked ensnare them. The cords of their sins hold them fast. These things that hold us fast, this is what Satan uses to destroy us. He has us chained under our table to our vices and everybody's vices are different, which we had just spoke about. But when the Lord touches us, he wants us to use our members, our thumbs, our ears, our thumbs and our toes. He wants us to use it for righteousness. And so Romans chapter six talks about do not present your bodies to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present your members to God as those who have been brought from death to life and, and use your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you. You're not going to be chained to it. Sin will not have dominion over you since you're not under the law, but you are under the grace of God. You're under the grace. The scripture also talks about how that thing that we're chained under, that whatever that vice is, whatever that affliction, that oppression is, the scripture says that you are slaves to the one that you obey. And so that thing that you're chained to, if that's what you obey, if that's what you're listening to, whenever it comes calling, you come running and Satan has you chained under it, he's going to continue just piecemealing that to you, just giving it to you, appeasing you, keeping you distracted, keeping you busy, constantly misleading you. And we have to believe what God has to tell us. He will keep you there and do to you what he's been trying to do to you from the beginning, which is destroy you. Exactly. So that God cannot be the beauty that you'll never see the beauty of God. The point is get rid of those addictions and, and afflictions and open your eyes to the light and beauty of God. Because once you're there, he's lost you. Amen to that. You know, Satan wants to keep us at that place. These addictions, pride, gossiping, drugs, alcohol, idolatry, whatever it is, it becomes their God because that's what's feeding them. That's what's feeding them. So if it's drugs, if it's that pill, if it's that meth, if it's, if it's cocaine or whatever that is, they keep coming back to it and Satan keeps on dishing it out. It becomes, you know, the scriptures talks about in Psalms 115, uh, verse four through eight, talks about the principle of idolatry because that's what you serve. That's what your vice is. That's what you crave. It becomes your God. The scripture talks about how things made with human hands, they have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but they cannot hear, eyes cannot see, ears that cannot hear, nose that cannot smell, hands that cannot feel, feet that cannot walk. It. It's talking about idolatry here, but the scripture says those that make them will be like them, so all those who trust in them. So the things that are made by man's hands that we put all of our eggs in, if you will. It controls us. It latches onto us. Our, our bodies fiend for it. And it removes glory, praise. It removes the soberness that we're supposed to have because we're supposed to serve the Lord. But you have all of these controlling factors. Job 36 and 8 talks about how we're bound in fetters, holding in the cords of affliction. And so we're holding to these things and we can't get out. And a drug, a person who does drugs becomes a drug addict. A person that is a, loves alcohol becomes an 
alcoholic, people who are steeped in pride and, and bitterness, they become that person and then that's what they exude. That's what their fruit is. They give it off. These are these things that they're they're stuck with. So the Lord doesn't want us to walk in these things. And so if we're chained under Satan's table of affliction, whatever that sin is, whatever that stronghold is that grips your life, anything that you idolize in place of the Lord God, not only are you a slave to it, the scripture says you become like it. And Satan will keep you continually dependent, continually feeding you until your ultimate destruction. And that's sin leading to death. Sin leading to death. You know, for years, I felt that I um, I had a lot of unforgiveness in my heart uh, from things that happened when I was young, and I carried that unforgiveness around, and it ate me up. I um, didn't realize how it was really destroying me inside and outside. And you know, whatever you're carrying on the inside is going to show on the outside to other people. You may not realize it, but they will see it. And that was me carrying that unforgiveness around. And um, and I had to give that up. I had to fall on my knees and give that up. But here's the great and beautiful thing about that. When I finally gave that up and I gave my life to Christ, Amen. you hear all the time Amen. that you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I'd heard this so much in my life that I really didn't understand it. I didn't know what that meant. When I gave my life to Christ and was baptized and the Holy Spirit entered me, there was a change in my soul. There was mm. a change in my way of thinking. Yes. There was a change. When they say the truth enters you and changes you, it changed me. And that's what I say to people out there who are listening to this cast. We're talking here about really what Satan does to keep you down, to feed you, to chain you. What we are really wanting is for you to understand how beautiful you are to God and how your life will change if you accept Christ and let him give you the Holy Spirit and let that spirit move within you. And in order to do that, it says you have to confess and repent. I talk to people about this a lot. Those are gifts, guys. They're gifts given to you from the Holy God to get rid of the things that are holding you down. Repentance and confession allow you to release those things that are keeping you from moving forward in your life free of Satan and the things he's tied you to. Amen. Amen. You know, one of the things that we can draw from Bezek in our lives, we are in a fight, in a battle for our soul. You're in a fight. You're battling. And a lot of people don't understand that. You know, the greatest loss in this life, it's not the things that we possess in this world. The greatest loss in this world is the loss of your soul. Because when we die here, we, we can't take our possessions with us, our cars, our house, our money. We, we can't take none of that with us. All you, you take with you is the deeds and things, your, your thoughts, you're all of that you're going to carry with you when you stand before the Lord, when we finally take account before the Lord. One of the things the scripture talks about is, you know, what shall a man profit if he shall gain the whole world but lose his soul? You know, God has chosen us to be a people, his treasured possession. God spoke this three times. If sin is not removed from us, the Bible 
shows us and it tells us that you will be removed with sin. And so we have to deal with that sin issue in our lives. And just like Bezek, you know, Satan's ultimate purpose is to have you cross that finish line of life, separated from God in your sins. That's what he wants. That's why he wants to keep you chained and afflicted under that table. Because once you cross that line of life in your sins, he's got you. He's added another crown to his prideful mantle. It's done. It's finished. And so we have to ask ourselves, where do we want to spend our eternity? Do you want to do you want to do your time in heaven or do you want to do time in hell? But here's a question. Can God restore your kingship? Can he restore your kingship? Can he restore you when you've had your your thumbs cut off? When you've had your toes cut off? You're not you're not serving the Lord, you're not walking in him. You 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 we can't even hear God. Can God restore our kingship? To wrap this up, we see there's an interesting man. His name is Manasseh. He's in 2 Chronicles 33. And so this young man had just become king. And he was 12 years old when he reigned in Jerusalem. And the scripture talks about how he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He built high places. Those are places of worship. He erected altars to Baal and Asherah poles. And he worshiped the starry host. He did all of these things that were abominable before the Lord. He sacrificed children, practiced divinations, witchcrafts, omens. And so the scripture talks about in 33 verse 10, how the Lord had spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they pay no attention. If you remember the 70 kings, how they were possibly caught off guard, distracted, unprepared, and maybe they despised all warnings. And so moving forward, you have verse 11. So the Lord brought against them the armies of the commanders of the king of Assyria who took Manasseh prisoner and put a hook in his nose and bound him with shackles and took him to Babylon. And so here we see Manasseh is defeated, dethroned, and he has been disgraced with a hook in his nose, dragged to Babylon. But here is what we need to understand. Verse 12 is so important. The scripture says, in his distress, he sought the favor of the Lord his God, and he humbled himself greatly before the God of his ancestors. He sought the Lord. And that's what we have to do. If we're bound and shackled, whatever that thing that has us afflicted, whatever that thing that has us oppressed, whatever thing that we have that we're hooked into that we can't get out, sometimes it's so much larger than us. We need help. And so we need to seek the favor of the Lord. We have to humble ourselves and go to God. And then verse 13 says that when he prayed to him, the Lord was moved by his entreaty and listened to his plea. So he brought him back to Jerusalem and back to his kingdom. And so when he sought the Lord, he bowed down, he humbled himself. He repented of his sins. The Lord heard him. And the Lord broke those shackles, those, those things that were afflicting him. And the scripture says, then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. Then he knew that the Lord was God. And so down in verse 15, the scripture talks about how he took away those strange gods and those idols out of his life. Whatever that thing is, is that you're worshiping, that you have in place of God, it must be 
removed out of your house. Because if it's in your house and, and it's abominable to the Lord, it, it curses us. And so we become that cursed. He took all of the strange gods and idols out of his house. All the altars that he built, he destroyed those altars and he casted them out of the city. So the Lord restored him to his kingship. Just like the Lord restored Manasseh, he can restore you. He can bring you to that place. You know, as we've traveled all over and preached in prisons, we have seen so many men restored, so many women restored, restored to their families, restored to their children, restored to their parents. And it is just a blessing to see that God works his beautiful saving grace no matter where you are. He can move and he can restore. Amen. Many people, they are defeated and dethroned, disabled and disgraced, but the Lord is with us. Matthew chapter 15, verse 30 through 31, it gives me great hope. The scripture says, and the great multitudes came unto him, having with them those that were lame, they were blind, they were dumb, they were maimed, they were missing limbs, both physically and spiritually. Scripture says, and many others, and cast them down at the feet of Jesus. And he healed them. Praise God. It didn't matter what condition they were in. He healed them. Scripture says, insomuch that the multitude wondered when they saw him, the dumb to speak, the maimed to be made whole, the lame to walk, and the blind to see. And they glorified the God of Israel. Glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. I'm going to close in a prayer and seek the Lord for the things that you might be going through in your life your struggles, your afflictions, and your oppressions. Father God, we come to you right now just giving you thanks and praise, Father God, for this moment. Many people out there in this world are struggling, Father God. They've been defeated by Satan, Father God. They've been oppressed under Satan's table with afflictions and oppressions of many kinds, Father God. Not only physically, but spiritually, Father God. We can't pick up a sword Father God, we can't walk in your ways. We can't hear you, Father God. Father God, I'm asking for you to, to come in and to touch our brothers and sisters, Father God, who've been oppressed by the evil one, Father God. And we place them at your feet. We hold them up, Father God, before you, that you may touch and heal them, Father God, that they may hear your word and that they become servants for you, Father God, that they walk before you in your ways, Father God. Give them their thumbs back. Give them their toes back, Father God. Give them the word. Give them so that they can grip the sword, so that they can fight the enemy. They don't have to be disgraced and defeated because you gave us the word. You gave us that full armor. We put on the full armor, Father God. We're grasping that armor and we put it on in Jesus' name. Father God, we just thank you for all of these things and we'll continue to glorify you. Join us next week as we continue our journey doing time with God. 